Our gospel reading today comes from Matthew's gospel, chapter 4, verses 12 through 22. Now when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the lake, in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulon, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Two weeks ago, we began a conversation about finding the sacred in our everyday lives. We heard the story of Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River and discovered together how that event declares that God can and will show up anywhere and anytime, that holiness is not limited to certain places or spaces and that the most ordinary things can carry reminders of the extraordinary promise of our faith. Last week, over Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, Beverly reminded us that justice is the work of the whole church. By virtue of the faith that is handed down to us from our ancestors, all of us have prophetic blood coursing through our veins. And today, it's the story of Jesus calling his disciples when they are called, quite literally, to a new kind of work. Everything changes for them, and yet, I would argue, their resumes do not need to be updated at all. It was a little over a week ago that I was sitting in an airport waiting on a flight back home, The weather in about half of the country was not cooperating, and it was one of those one delay after another situations. And all of us at gate 31 were starting to know one another better than we had ever intended. There were three men that were talking not very far away from me. They were either on their way to or on their way back from a business trip. And they were sharing stories of previous employment. One of them said with no small amount of pride, I was fired once for being Christian. Now this, of course, caught my attention. Not enough to enter their conversation, just enough to, I admit, linger and drink my coffee slowly. I was fired once for being Christian, he said. 
Now, I think that this man is probably a good guy. As he told his friends and anyone in the nearby airspace, he loves his church, so much so that at his past job, every Friday, he would walk around the office and ask everyone about their weekend plans, and then he would suggest that they change those plans and go to worship with him. I was only doing what Jesus teaches us to do, he said. But apparently complaints were filed with HR, mainly by those he supervised, who said they felt pressured by their boss, and who claimed that those who accepted his invitation to church received special treatment. I was told to keep my religion at home, he said, and he shook his head. This is the state of things now, he said. I was fired for being Christian. I've learned my lesson, he said. My faith cannot go to work with me. I'm curious what you might think about that. The story of Jesus calling the disciples is an old favorite of mine, particularly the way that Matthew and Mark tell it. Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he sees Simon and Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Now that always makes me laugh just a little bit, the way that the gospel writers reiterate this point. They were casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen, they say, just in case we might think they were casting their nets into the lake because they were tax collectors, or casting their nets into the lake because they were carpenters. They were fishermen, the gospel wants us to know over and over and over again. They were fishermen. And so, of course, when Jesus calls to them, he says, I will make you fish for people. I think all of the repetition around what Simon and Andrew do for a living and the language that frames what they will do from now on is important. Jesus sees who they are, and he sees what they do. He sees the work they engage in, and he uses their own language, their own lingo, to call out to them. <coughs> he doesn't say, fishermen, come and follow me, and I will make you lawyers. He says, fishermen, come and follow me. And bring the skills that you have, and the work that you do, and the person you are. Bring all of that, and follow me. I don't think Jesus called fishermen because he needed fishermen. I think Jesus called people who happened to be fishermen, and he invited them to bring their full selves along. You fish, Jesus says, great. I will teach you to fish for people. You're a doctor, great. I will teach you to heal the broken. You're a writer, I'll teach you the word of the Lord. You're a banker, I'll teach you the value of dignity and the cost of discipleship. You're a lawyer, excellent. I will teach you the law and the prophets. You're a student, 
I will teach you to study scripture and ask the right questions. You're a builder? Great. I will teach you to build bridges and forge community. You're a tailor? I'll teach you to mend back together anything that's been torn apart. You're an executive? I'll teach you to lead people in the paths of righteousness. You're a librarian? Great. I will teach you to care for the past and pursue knowledge today. Whatever work you do, Jesus says, I will teach you to do it in a way that brings glory to God. So how might Jesus call to you? It is no wonder that the very next thing Matthew tells us is how immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately, almost as if they had been waiting their entire lives for this moment. Almost as if a chord had been struck that only they could hear. Now, if Jesus had simply been offering them the same life and the same routine they'd always had, I don't think that would have been compelling enough for them to have responded immediately. And if Jesus had offered them a bizarre and abrupt departure from the life and routine they had always known, they wouldn't have been ready to respond immediately to that either. Jesus meets them where they are and offers them a renewed way of doing what they've always done. You're a fisherman, he says, so let me show you how you as a fisherman can bring glory to God. In other words, he says, let me show you how your days can be full of meaning. That's why Simon and Andrew and James and John respond immediately. Because isn't that what we all want? The siren song of success and advancement and achievement, it has its appeal, I know. But at the end of the day, I suspect that what we all want more than anything else is to know that what we do matters. That what we do makes a difference. Come and follow me, Jesus says, and I will show you how to find meaning in your days. It is not terribly uncommon for me to hear people lament the divide in their daily living. There's the part of them that goes to church on Sunday, the part that worships with glad hearts and faithful minds, and then there's the part that goes to work on Monday. And so often these parts feel disconnected. An earnest elder at a previous church I served, he once said to me, I'd like to learn how to go to church not just on Sunday, but on Monday and Tuesday too. And I trust that you will understand he was not looking for an afternoon Bible study or an evening program. What's it like, he said, to go to church every day? His honest question makes me remember how years and years and years ago, I would find it absolutely scandalous 
to run into my teacher at the grocery store. Not because of whatever he was buying, but because to my young mind, teachers only existed at school. Students go home in the afternoon when the bell rings, but not teachers. How could my teacher possibly need groceries? He lived at school, and the school had a cafeteria. And I think that faithful elder thought maybe the lives of pastors and priests and other religious professionals might be something like that. And I heard this deep longing in his voice as he spoke about it. He didn't actually imagine that I lived in the sanctuary, but he did imagine a life in which church and work didn't feel so compartmentalized. I am convinced that our scripture reading this morning speaks a word of both comfort and challenge to that elder and to all of us. Very little about our lives is so neatly divided, especially when it comes to faith. Remember now, before Jesus calls his disciples, before he says, follow me, he says to all who would hear, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Not the kingdom of heaven will come near, or even the kingdom of heaven is coming near. The kingdom of heaven has come near. It is already here. There is no divide, Jesus says, between heaven and earth. And in Jesus, there is no divide between human and divine, which means if I understand this text and all the ones around it, there is no divide between the secular and the sacred. Faith is never limited to Sunday. If anything, we talk about faith and following Jesus on Sundays so that we can live it out the rest of the week. To divide heaven and earth, the secular and the sacred, Sunday and Monday, that is a grave misunderstanding of the gospel that Jesus proclaims. The man in the airport He said that he brought too much of his faith to work. And I don't know him, not in any way that matters. But I think the problem wasn't that he brought too much of his Christian faith to work. I think it's that he brought too little. He brought an understanding of faith that was far too little and far too literal. All he could hear was Jesus calling him to be a fisherman, which is fine if you happen to be a fisherman. But this man was a corporate consultant who didn't speak the language of fishermen. He was trying desperately to be someone he wasn't, which meant, I think, that despite very good intentions... He misunderstood, and this led to him seeing his colleagues as actual fish, fish that are caught in nets and captured and hung on the wall as trophies. Jesus never calls us to be someone or something that we are not. 
He does constantly call us to consider how we are and who we are and why we do what we do and how all of that can show forth the glory of God. If that divide between Sunday and Monday, if that divide between work and worship still seems insurmountable to you, the very best encouragement I can offer is to listen once again for the voice that calls to you. It's a voice that doesn't ask you to change what you do. But it might ask you to change the way you do it, or the way you understand it, or interpret it, or embody it. You're a fisherman, Jesus says. Great. I will teach you to fish for people. That's all the gospel records because that's how stories work. But I don't think that's all that Jesus says. You're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're a musician, a banker. Great, he says. I will teach you how that too can be faithful and true. I'll teach you how you too, whoever you are and whatever you do, I will teach you that you, my beloved, you are faithful and true. I will teach you, he says. So come, come and follow me. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.